Hello and welcome to this week's Tess Effie podcast. My name is Kate Parker and I'm joined by Julia Balgatai. Hello. And this week with us we have Sam Tuckett who is the Senior Researcher at the Education Policy Institute. Good morning. Morning. And Sam, you're here with us today to talk about the research that the EPI published on Monday into the um, 16 to 19 attainment gap. So to start off with, do you want to take us through through your research and what you found? Yeah, of course. So this is looking at the attainment of students from different economic backgrounds during sixth form and college. So a great deal is known, has been known for some time about the attainment the gap in attainment that exists between children from poorer backgrounds and their peers at school. So as a result, there's a real focus and policy initiatives aimed at shrinking this gap. So what our new research does for the first time is examines how this gap continues in the student sixth form and college study. And what we find is that over the best three qualifications entered during this phase of education, um, so whether these are academic qualifications such as A-levels, vocational or lower level qualifications, that students from disadvantaged backgrounds trail their more affluent peers by the equivalent of three whole A-level grades on average. And so differences of these sizes are are really important. So in terms of what these students are going to go on to do next, whether that be um, employment or looking into the job market or continued education such as university. Um, and for either of these options, differences of these size really matter. So poorer children will be at a disadvantage. And the, the gap varies regionally as well, doesn't it? Um, I think in your research, it says that students are the equivalent of um, five A-level grades behind in Knowsley, North Somerset and Stockton, whereas in parts of London, there's no gap at all. So what, what could explain you know, the differences regionally? Uh, well, that's right. So, so a lot of the, the trends we see at 16 to 19 are a continuation of what's uh, the situation at, at Key Stage 4 while students are at school. So what we do see is that the um, there's a big correlation between the areas that had the largest attainment gaps at Key Stage 4 at school. Um, so a lot of it is a continuation of an issue that was already there at an earlier age. Um, but there, there may be um, further issues as well. And so it would require a bit further research to look into this um, specifically. Uh, but yeah, that's right. So in, in Nosley, North Somerset, Stockton on Tees, um, students are nearly around five A-level grades behind um, non-disadvantaged students nationally. And as you say, most of the areas with the smallest gaps, or in some cases, no gaps, are centred in and around London. Have you Were you surprised at all by what you found? Because obviously this kind of research hasn't been done for that age group before, but we know, you know, you mentioned already that a lot of it seems to be a continuation of what we find at, at earlier age gaps, at age groups. Were you at all surprised by, you know, it's it's stark, stark results in lots of ways. And um, yes. were you taken aback by that or is it what you expected? Um, so given that we know that the, the gap has existed, so it probably starts in some form before students even enter education in the early years phase. And we know it's it's there and has continued to get wider in each successive stage. So the fact that there was a significant gap there in itself is not a surprise. However, what we also find is it's not just explained by students' GCSE results or their prior attainment. So if we when we've gone further in our modelling and adjusted for students' prior ability and other 
um, student demographic characteristics, we still find that it's disadvantaged students, those from a poorer background, that are likely to do worse. Um, so that is to say that even amongst students with the same GCSE results and are otherwise similar, we would still expect those from poorer backgrounds to achieve the lower results. Um, so it's 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 true that students are falling further behind in this phase as well. So it's not just a continuation of the results that were already there. And so obviously this, this research was done pre-COVID, wasn't it? That's right. As you say, you know, it tends to be the poor students that, that have the biggest gap. And we know that COVID has um, meant a lot of lost learning for a lot of students, especially those who uh, are really affected by the digital divide, who might not have devices at home to access um, yeah. to access remote learning. So do you, do you expect the gap to widen um, as, you know, the impact of COVID really, really sets in? I think that is the most likely outcome, yes. Um, and we won't have data to look into this until later in the year but um that's right as you say it's the certain students are less likely to have access to the digital technology which is really often needed for effective home learning now um and also um this sometimes the simple things just like having a quiet space alone by yourself to work at home it's some certain students are less likely to have that than others and those things are going to make a big difference um so that will impact directly during the 16 to 19 phase of students that are currently taking their A-levels or vocational qualifications. But what we will likely also see is that it will exasperate the gaps at GCSEs as or Key Stage 4 as well, so that when that there will still be an effect in a few years' time where um, the sixth form and college kind of entrance in over the next few years will have an even wider gap between them, and that will likely feed through into a further gap in the 16 to 19 phase. <laughs> So lots of this we won't see the impact of for, for some time then. It will take quite a long time for that to to filter through then. Quite likely, yes. So, I mean, there are the, the government catch-up funds as well, which is is quite welcome funding. However, we do feel could probably be better targeted. Um, so, for example, at school level, uh, sorry, at, at school age, it's not targeted towards the more disadvantaged students at all. So every student is attracting the same amount of funding. And although that funding is welcome, we don't think that we're getting the best value from it. Um, and then in the 16 to 19 phase, again, there are, are catch-up funds and it's targeted towards... So it's, it's money for small group tutoring for um, those targeted towards those that didn't achieve a good pass in English and maths at GCSE, which of course is very important and we, we do welcome that funding. However, what it doesn't take account of is that for all the reasons we've just discussed, those from a disadvantaged background are likely to be the ones that have fallen furthest behind during the pandemic. So kind of regardless of their starting point, whether they achieved um, the good pass in the English and maths or not, um, it's, yeah, it's those that are likely to have fallen furthest behind in the pandemic, which we know are the disadvantaged students that we feel that funding should be better targeted towards. <laughs> And, you know, beyond funding, what else, you know, do you think should should be introduced to, to target this gap? And I guess, should, should the intervention, interventions be tailored regionally if there is such a disparity in the gap between, say, London and, and, and the North? Um, potentially, yes, but any 
I think it would need to be as part of a wider review of funding before it we started targeting it regionally. So it's although when I say when we say there's not a gap in London, what we're saying there or in some London boroughs, sorry, um, it's not to say that the disadvantaged students in London are equal or ahead of the non-disadvantaged students in London. It's a comparison to non-disadvantaged students nationally. So although we're saying compared to compared to the national average, disadvantaged students in London are not behind, it may well still be the case that they are slightly behind uh, more affluent students in London. Um, so there is still there is still benefit in having um, additional funding targeted towards the disadvantaged students in London, even though their overall attainment is higher. And what we also have in the funding formula is extra funding for, again, for those that haven't achieved good passes in English and maths. So it does kind of take account of the the prior attainment, um, but then to have funding targeted towards um, disadvantage as well would be to address those gaps rather than the absolute ability necessarily, if that makes sense. Yes. So it requires a much wider look then at, at how funding is uh, attributed and how distributed across the country and, and what what is being funded then. Yeah. Is there anything else that government can do, do you think, to well, help? We're just on the funding point as well. I think it's it's also very important that given kind of in, in real terms funding is low at the moment compared to how it has been, say, eight or nine years ago. So what is really important is that this doesn't come, any additional fund, targeted funding does not come at the expense of, of core funding. It would need to be, we would need to have a situation where kind of average funding per pupil was increased and that additional funding went towards the more disadvantaged students. Um, and then in terms of what, what can be done, as you say, so part of it is the funding which will help school um colleges in a number of ways so partly just through um teacher recruitment and retention which is an ongoing issue um the small group tutoring specifically helping students catch up as, as we discussed with the covid funding um and and also one thing that's quite interesting could be careers advice and guidance targeted towards disadvantaged students particularly um the the higher attaining disadvantaged students because uh, what we see from from other research is that there is a bit of a, a mismatch so that disadvantaged students are likely to are more likely to enter qualifications associated with lower prior ability even if they themselves have achieved quite highly um, so there's something to be done perhaps around um, making sure everyone is aware of their options and are able to make the decisions that best set them up for the career choices or um, education plans they have for the rest of their lives? I think careers education is kind of, um, and advice and guidance is one of those things that uh, is very clear there needs to be reform and there needs to be more mm -hmm. in colleges and at schools. I think obviously a lot of, a lot of um, school children might not be aware of all the options in vocational and technical education, for example. So do you think that, that, that does that advice also need to be done, you know, while they're still at school or potentially even earlier, you know, at like primary school level, um, as well as in, you know, when they're in this 16 to 18 phase? Yes, I think I think very important at school. So it'll be kind of towards their final years of school where where they're actually making these decisions about um, what they will be studying at school and college. And it will also be 
when they, they're sitting their GCSEs and they're starting to get a feel for the kind of results they might be expecting to get. And so that that really is the point where they would need to be making those decisions, yeah. And in terms of on the ground, is there anything that you think that, you know, teachers and staff in FE could be doing um, and teachers in sixth form, as you know, to, to, to really support those students who are, you know, so far behind their peers? Um, so what I think could be helpful so the the way the funding works at the moment where it's the for disadvantaged students um colleges will attract extra funding under the formula if they have a high proportion of students that are from particularly disadvantaged areas so based on the indexes and multiple deprivation that doesn't necessarily highlight to them who who the students are it's just it's just an extra amount of funding so i think where the the pupil premium at school age there's a whole range of kind of transparency and accountability criteria that go go with that so if there were um similar kind of policies with a student premium at 16 to 19 it would really um, encourage a focus onto those students absolutely so the the research that you've done is obviously the kind of first of its kind for that age group why do you think it has taken until now for that research to happen and also do we need to see more of this? Are you planning any more research for this age group in particular? So the reason not a huge amount has been done in this space before is largely down to the complexity of different options that students choose at this phase. So, for example, at Key Stage 4 or through schooling, um, although people are taking qualifications, it's broadly the case that most students will be taking a suite of GCSEs, which are all at the same level and graded on the same scale so it's much easier to come up with meaningful metrics to make these comparisons um, so in the 16 to 19 phase while students are at um, sixth forms and colleges um, people sometimes assume a levels are the dominant route whereas actually less than half of all students are, are taking them with most opting for uh, vocational and technical qualifications which are very varied in themselves will be at at different levels and have completely different grading scales um so it's very it's a lot it's been a lot more difficult to come up with an overall measure and although the research we've done is a big step in that direction there there may be more work to do because there's no there's no perfect solution to that there has to be some value judgments into how you bring all those qualifications together um so what we've done in our research is um, so our first version of the measure attributes equal points or equal weighting to qualifications um, at the same level with the same number of study hours or guided learning hours um, as set out by Ofqual. Um, and that's that version of the measure gives us the overall gap of three A-level grades or equivalent to three A-level grades over the best three qualifications for each student. Um, however, we've also apply sensitivity testing around this and have a separate version of the measure um, that adjusts the weighting so it's not just based on the number of guided learning hours but based on the economic return seen to um, BTEX versus A-levels as a proxy for academic versus vocational and when we weight things in that way we see um, the gap is actually wider it's more like four A-level grades. Um, so that kind of shows the the complexity there's a lot lot of um decisions and value judgments that need to be made when you're bringing all these things together and it it muddies the water a lot um but 
it is very important that we do it in this way and consider it as a holistic issue um, because for example, if you look at just the gap within within A-levels, um, then that's really masking the fact that disadvantaged students, those from poorer backgrounds, are less likely to take A-levels in the first place. So it's not the overall picture. So have you got more planned for this space? Um, yes, there's certainly more work we would like to do. Um, so, and the research we've done at the moment, it's, it is exploratory. It's kind of the first piece to try and tackle this issue and we, we do welcome feedback on it one of the um one of the key things might be to so where i've where i've said we've adjusted for um returns to different qualification types um a key thing might to be to explore some sensitivity testing around um different subjects within qualification types so for example it might be that we could look into adjusting specifically for stem subjects It'll be so interesting, I think, and especially, you know, like you said, that the complexity in FE, no one knows that more than us who, who cover the sector and also, you know, our listeners. Um, and I think it, it clearly this age group is so important and will just continue to become more important um, as we see the, you know, the after effects of COVID, like you said. So um, we will await more research from you guys eagerly on this. And um, thank you so much for joining us and talking us through that today, Sam, it's been really helpful. Thank you. Thank you. And join us next week or in the week after that even um, when we will be back with another guest. Thank you for listening as always and goodbye.